Beloved congregation of the Lord, will you read with me again in John chapter 10, and beginning here in verse 26. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. congregation in the the coming week there is the preparation week for the holy supper of the lord a sacred time in which we have a solemn duty to examine ourselves rightly to examine ourselves if we be in the faith to examine ourselves whether we are daily repenting of our sin and desiring to walk in the commandments of god And one way to think about that, whether it is we belong at the table of the Lord among the Lord's true people, is to answer the question, are we sheep? Sheep. This, of course, is one of the uh, very um, memorable ways in which the Bible speaks of Christians. It is found in our most beloved psalms, like Psalm 23, and it's found also throughout this chapter 10 of John's Gospel, where that special relation of Christ as the shepherd to his beloved sheep is set forth so beautifully. And in recent weeks, we had occasion to work through the early verses of this great chapter, and especially in that first discourse that it contains here, where it sets forth the the loving care of Christ for his people. The second uh, section of this chapter is also worthy of consideration, and while it likewise sets forth the beauties of the Savior, the, the excellencies of his salvation, and his utter sufficiency for our every need, there is also, I think you'll agree, a very searching note to it. There is a very full and careful explanation about those who truly belong to the Lord Jesus. And so I hope that as we consider verses 23 to 30 and draw some lessons from it, that the Lord will bless our meditation upon these sacred verses and use them in order to prepare rightly in this coming week. So with the Lord's help, uh, let's consider this theme of Christ's sheep. Christ's sheep. And we'll consider in the first place, who are these sheep? In the second place, what are the marks or signs of a sheep? And third, what is the security of these sheep? Well, we have uh, here a uh, scene from the context of Christ's latter ministry, the final uh, period of his public preaching and proclamation. And you can certainly see that it is a time of hostility, of contention and division following his previous uh, sermon. We uh, read how there was a division among the people. Some 
giving the very worst slander and accusations against Christ, even calling him possessed of a demon, others pointing to his faithful work. So there is a division among the uh, Jews and the religious leaders at this point. And now some weeks later, at the Feast of the Denication, which is also called Hanukkah in the uh, Jewish uh, reckoning, which is a feast that was instituted in between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament to celebrate the cleansing of the temple by the Maccabees and the, the liberation of that from, from the Greek uh, pagans. So as they're celebrating this temple, we, we have Jesus uh, walking in Solomon's porch, so out at the outskirts of the temple, and he receives this challenge from some of his opponents. You see in verse 24, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou to make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And I think you'll agree, congregation, what we see there is a, a line of questioning that really savors of unbelief. The spirit of pride and of questioning, which is obviously satanic in its very essence, is found in these words, blaming their doubts about the Lord Jesus upon him and about some lack of clarity in his teaching or proclamation. And we see Jesus' very straightforward answer. He says, I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. So he's saying if you pay attention to all of the works I've done, you would have the answer to your question. But look at what he says next. But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. So we have the statement of, of Christ, which is obviously seeking to give an explanation for why it is that these opponents of his ministry are continuing to doubt him, to question him, and ultimately to attack him. And the answer is that they are not of his sheep. And so we come to the text with this question, who are these sheep? And maybe you say, well, pastor, you already said in your introduction, didn't you? Uh, a sheep in this context is a Christian, one who depends upon the shepherd for care and provision and safety and, and all the, the things that a sheep requires. This is taken from the realm of nature and uh, sight into the realm of the spiritual realities of salvation. So it's speaking about Christians. But I think we should go further than that congregation. In what sense is Jesus using that title of the Christian here? Perhaps there might be some people who would say, well, you know, this is perhaps referring to every uh, Christian in their exercise of faith. So it would be an accurate thing to say that, that what separates the Christian from the non-Christian is that the Christian has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is faith, true faith, saving faith, there is a Christian. 
but it's not really what's being taught in this verse, is it? Because look again at what Jesus said. He says, Ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. So perhaps we'd want to reverse that to make it make sense to us and say, You are not of my sheep because you don't believe. But no, it's not what he says at all. He says, You don't believe. Why? Because you're not of my sheep. There's a reality being spoken of here that is deeper and more fundamental, more, um, more permanent than even the exercise of faith that is spoken of here. And you might say, well, perhaps this is speaking of regeneration. Of course, we understand that great teaching, and if we've considered it, uh, not, um, not that in the distant future, but distant past rather, but relatively recently, we spoke of regeneration at some length, and, and in some senses that might fit. We know that in this gospel, Jesus teaches very plainly about this, that except ye are born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God, that indeed you cannot be a Christian except you are born from above, except the Holy Spirit works upon your soul to turn you from death unto life, there cannot be a true Christian. But that, as well, I don't believe is what Jesus is teaching here. It's not even that which is what is separating the sheep from the non-sheep that he is addressing here. And I think the, the key to understanding what Jesus is driving at is if you would read further on in our text, if you would Keep on reading, for example, in verse 28 and following. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There is this which Jesus is speaking of, which separates these sheep in this sermon he gives. And that is this. The reason that they are his sheep is because they are given unto him by his Father. Given by the Father. And, of course, Jesus speaks about this quite often in this gospel. In the sixth chapter of this uh, great gospel, there's that most famous of, of verses. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Much to love in that verse, isn't there? There's none who are cast out or thrown away by the Lord Jesus. None who come unto him in humility and in repentance and in faith will ever be thrown away. But what is the foundation of anyone coming unto Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus said so in that verse, didn't he? It's those who are given to him by the Father. It's them who will come unto him. We're speaking here, aren't we, about something that is reaching back to something that is more fundamental than all the others. Indeed, it's the mother grace from which all the graces of regeneration and faith and repentance and sanctification and all the graces of the Christian life, they come from this, being given by the Father unto the Son. 
And of course, what we're speaking about here is something that takes place in eternity. From eternity, before the foundation of the world, there was something that took place. You see this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. But where come these spiritual blessings, Paul? Well, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we see that there is this doctrine taught in the scriptures, not only in Paul's writings, but also by the Lord Jesus himself. There is an eternal election of God, a choosing of a particular people unto eternal life. And as we see in the language of Christ here, my Father which gave them me, we see that it is spoken in terms of an arrangement or an an agreement. What some theologians call the covenant of redemption. That from eternity there is this agreement between the Father and the Son to give a particular people unto Jesus Christ as mediator. A people whom he would redeem unto himself. As he says also earlier on in verse 18, which we considered briefly, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. All of the work of salvation, including the giving of Christ's life, it goes back to this arrangement and agreement and covenant from eternity. And what are we to make of that congregation? Well, as we would seek to, uh, to examine ourselves rightly, it is this that is the bedrock of the Christian gospel. What makes any one of us to differ from the scoffers of this world who hate Christianity? who march in great uh, parades to celebrate sin, who, who would even slander the name of Jesus Christ and to mock him openly. Or what makes you Christian? What makes you to differ from a false professor, one who has the external show of religion but lacks the power thereof? Is it the case that you are wiser or smarter more righteous, more sensitive, more spiritual than another? Is there any difference in you whatsoever that you can point to and say, yes, this is the foundation of my salvation? Well, if you would even think that way for a moment, if there is anything in you which would make yourself to differ based on anything in yourself, well, you're completely on the wrong track. That is the the path of self-deception, self-righteousness, and false profession. That which Jesus instructs us is far better. He brings the salvation of God's elect into the eternal counsel 
of God's will and this sovereign agreement between the Father and the Son. It is God, the triune God, who sets his love from eternity upon an undeserving people. Every bit is worthy of damnation as those who will suffer the eternal fires of hell. And yet, according to the praise of his marvelous grace, God chose some. Otherwise, heaven would have none. It's this which must humble us and say that salvation is of the Lord. If there is even a particle of grace in our souls, it must trace back unto him and unto the good pleasure of the triune God. So we see that in the first place. Who are they? Well, they are the elect of God. But what are the marks by which they can be known? How is it that one can identify the true chosen ones, the true sheep, the true Christians? Well, it is by these infallible marks, these in which are given to us in this portion of Scripture and in many others in order to test ourselves to see if we be in the faith. So what does Jesus say? Let's return again to 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. So here we have, according to Jesus' teaching, a really pristine example of those who are not among his sheep. We ought to be a bit careful at this point. Jesus has infallible knowledge of those who belong unto him. He knows each and every one. It's said in verse 3 of this chapter, he calls them by name. He knows them individually. And we don't have that same knowledge, do we? One can lack the marks of God's elect, and yet it can be the case that later on in their life they, they can manifest those marks. So Jesus can speak definitely here and say, these are people who are not going to go to heaven. These are people who will be damned. And we ought to conclude, indeed, if we are like them, that we are in a very desperate state and that we need God's intervention, but we ought not to conclude that our case is without hope, provided that these marks are manifested before we draw our last, our last breath. So we have this example, these unbelievers, these scoffers, and, and this I would draw your attention to. Jesus said in verse 26, "'Ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep,' As I said unto you. Well, what is he talking about there? He's saying, I've already told you this before and you didn't hear. Well, what is he talking about? Well, previous in, our, in John's gospel, he had another dialogue with, it appears, the same group of people. And he impressed upon them the terrible state that they were in. And indeed, now he is confirming what he had told them earlier that it was confirmation that they were reprobates. And you can find that in the, the nine, in, 
excuse me, the eighth chapter of John's gospel. And um, verses 42 to 47 are particularly, it seems, what Jesus has in view. And we won't look at these verses exhaustively, but I would like to read them for you now, and we'll draw some uh, things from them. John chapter 8 and verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. So unless I'm mistaken, this phrase, those who are of God, is the same thing that he's referring to in our text when he speaks of his sheep. The elect of God belong to God from eternity and to eternity. And they may be known in this way. He says it a number of times, but most explicitly there in verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. This is the, the thing that is set forth both here as well as in our text. Do you hear? Do you hear? Well, you might say, of course, I hear. I hear the syllables that are coming out of your mouth. I, I hear you as you read the Bible. I hear you as it, you explain the Bible. And surely I'm not even as these who, in one sense, you could say heard them, but respond with, with recriminations and accusations and criticisms against the Lord Jesus. I'm not standing up today and, and accusing you, Pastor, of, of anything. But... But there's one thing to hear, and there's another thing to hear. To hear truly. What is, what is it that he says here in verse 43? Ye do not understand my speech. There's a hearing which gives birth to understanding. The kind of hearing where Christ speaks unto the souls of one of his chosen ones. It is one that gives birth to a spiritual grasp of the thing that is said how terrible terrible to sit under the preaching of the word and never once to grasp with understanding the thing that is said not really to have christ teach you and instruct you in the way of salvation and you notice as well it, he says in verse 42 if god were your father ye would love me a hearing which gives birth to the affection of love, a desire for Christ, a prizing of him and his honor and in his glory. 
of seeking to obey him and to please him in all things. A true love in the soul for Christ. That is the hearing that is spoken of here. And it's in contrast to the life of sin, to the life of unrepentant sin against God. He speaks of those who are of their father, the devil, who are murderers and liars who will not abide the truth. Spiritual seeds of the serpent at enmity with the seed of the woman. So it was, so it shall be until the end of the world. These two groups of people, those who are of God and those who are of the devil. And so it's utterly inconsistent to serve the devil, to reject the word of God and to go on sinning with abandon and to really, really have heard Christ. Where Christ would speak unto your soul, such things are in the past and you belong unto another. So there we, we have a sort of negative sense. Here is the, the marks of one who is not one of Christ's sheep. But you notice that when uh, Christ is speaking about it in our text, he especially leans into the positive. He emphasizes this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, of course, there's a great edge to what it is that Jesus is saying here. He's speaking to those who are most definitely not hearing and most definitely not following. But in the course of this strong statement to expose their terrible condition, he also, in the course of that, sets forth the principal mark of the one who is a true sheep of the shepherd. They follow. And I might have, you know, even with the clear teaching of Scripture, I might almost be a bit skeptical if I hadn't spoken to an actual shepherd about this when I was in Michigan, and, and I wanted to say to them, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really someone who grew up in a farm. I'm going to have to teach people about passages like John um, 10. And people are going to ask me, is that really true? Is it really true that if you go out to all your sheep that they, they know your voice and that they'll follow you, but they won't follow, say, me? And he said, it's, it's completely true. You know, there's a sense in which a shepherd who, who attends to his sheep, he'll get to know them and they're different personalities, but one thing's for sure, the the sheep definitely know their shepherd. They know the sound of his voice. And so he comes out and says, it's feeding time or it's time to go. And and won't you know it, they come out and they follow that shepherd. And what is is assumed there in um, in that statement of following? Well, certainly it's the case that they know this shepherd. If I go out to that man's sheep and I, and I try to, to get those sheep to do something, they don't know me from Adam. So if I could uh, holler to them, I could, I could give them all sort of direction. They, they don't know me, so it's not, not really going to go anywhere. So likewise, if you don't know Christ, you won't follow him. If he's not revealed himself 
unto you personally in the scriptures. He's still a stranger to you. But if he has revealed something of himself to you, if you can say that you know him personally, that he is your most best of friends, indeed he's your savior, he is your Lord, he is your everything, then of course you know him. He is your shepherd. He speaks to you in his word, in the, in the word preached, in the word read, and it is a word from him to you personally. You know him. And of course, what's included there is also that trusting dependence. That trusting dependence. Your sheep is, is not liable to trust a shepherd who is cruel, who is likely as, as much to beat them senseless for no reason as he is to give uh, uh, some, um, some delicious grass to his sheep, but to a good shepherd, one like Christ, who actually loves and cares for his sheep. And surely, surely a true sheep who has experienced such things will indeed trust in the one who so calls. Trust in the word of Christ. Trust in rather Christ himself who calls you through his word. Trust in him to save you from your sins. Trust in him to guide you in the paths of life. Trust in him to preserve you in every manner of trial and circumstance. Trust in him because he has been faithful to you time and again. He's never let anyone down. However much we are unfaithful to him, Christ has never once proven unfaithful. He's worthy of our trust. And of course, that's of course, it's included here, isn't it? There is that mark of obedience. Obedience for the sheep. What sheep in their right mind would dare to say, I'm not going to follow this shepherd. Who is he right to tell me what to do? Well, a sheep with that kind of obstinate, stubborn disposition and that sheep is likely to get some correction from the rod or the staff. But it's not likely to last. Indeed, that shepherd, if he knows what he's doing, he's going to make sure that those sheep understand the relationship. This is not a democracy. This is not a relationship of equals. One is the shepherd. The other is the sheep. One is given to command and to call. The other is given to hear and to follow. So how is it with you? When Christ as Lord, as sovereign, as king, as shepherd gives you a command, Christian, and says this is how you are to live, this is what you are to do, this is how you are to think, this is how you are to feel, this is how you are to live. Is that to you just another suggestion? Something, well, maybe I'll think about that. Maybe I'll try to find some time this week to at least give a little bit of consideration to the things that the shepherd uh, would have me to think about and to do. Or rather, is it that this is so serious? My shepherd is speaking to me. He has commanded me to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's commanded me to love my neighbor as myself. He's commanded me to show love to my family, to my church, to my community. He's commanded me to lay down my life as he has laid down his life for me. He's commanded me to forsake the world and sin and all that would hinder my communion and fellowship with him. And how is it that you receive these things? Is it with authority, with submission, with obedience? Such is the mark of a true sheep.
Here we have it, congregation. And I must ask you, can you find these uh, things, these marks of the, those who are not Christ's sheep and those who are Christ's sheep, can you find some things that connect with your own experience? So anyone here could say, I can remember a time where I did not know the shepherd. I can remember a time he was nothing to me, but let me tell you something that I cannot say that now. I cannot dare say he is nothing to me now. I cannot dare but hear his word to me. I cannot but follow him because he is my shepherd. Does that connect with your experience? Is that really where you're at today? If that is where you're at, how can you but come to the supper? The supper is about who? Who is it about? Is it about me or is it about you? No, it is about the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down my life for the sheep. Shall Christ be one who gives his life upon the cross of Calvary and shall the true sheep of Christ not obediently follow him also in the remembrance of that death in the celebration of it in the Lord's Supper. But those who do not have that testimony in their hearts, those who can say, well, to be honest, I'd like it to be true, but, but it's not really true. And before you would dare come to that supper, you have business. You have business with this one. With this one who says that my sheep hear me and they follow. But I'd like to speak in the, in the last place, a word of encouragement. It's always, I think, a bit somber to go into a week of reflection and self-examination can be a scary thing, an intimidating thing, to really be honest with ourselves in that way. And so I think we ought to give some reflection to the great encouragement he gives in the way of the security of these sheep. Let's just read the verses from 28 to 30 and then uh, notice some things here. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so it appears that Jesus, even though he is contending with these wicked adversaries, is not content until he does give some very clear uh, words of consolation as well as practical instruction to those who are troubled sheep, to those who may be afflicted because they see so much of, uh, of weakness and sin and imperfection in themselves and say, how is it? How is it that I can, can really partake of the supper? How is it that I can, I can know that if I've tasted even of anything of, of the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ, that I'm still able to say that I am his sheep, even after how I've let him down, even after all the mistakes and sins and shortcomings which I can identify in myself. Well, it's especially that which Jesus is speaking about here. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
that life which you possess, believer. The life whereby you know God in Jesus Christ. That life whereby you follow earnestly after the good shepherd. That is the life which is given to you not from yourself, not from any parent, not from any pastor. It is given to you by Jesus. Jesus. Do you think that he, he gave that to you with a reluctant heart? I suppose I could save this one. No, it was from a heart of love. Why do you think Jesus called you by name personally? Why do you think he died for you by name? Do you not think he preserves you by name? Yes, you are active in the Christian life. You are still a living soul And yes, you are participating in that discipline of repentance and daily exercise of faith, but you do not do so alone. Christ has pledged himself in love unto you, and he has said that none can snatch you out of my hand. Shall Christ die for a soul? Shall he give life unto a soul, and shall that soul be snatched away by the devil? Can any principality or power or tyranny or trial or affliction, can any of these separate us from the love of Christ? I think it was Dr. MacArthur who said that if you could lose your salvation, Christian, let me tell you, you would. You would, and every Christian knows it. There's so much imperfection, so much imperfection in our faith and in our our holiness, and yet... He who has begun a good work in you will see it through to completion. The love of Christ is what holds you fast. None can snatch a Christian out of his hand. But you notice he doesn't just end it there. He also uh, says this as well. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And it's almost as though the Christian that he's speaking to is just so in distress that even the love of Christ doesn't quite settle every doubt. And you say, well, yes, I know Jesus loves me. I know that his love is so consistent and so faithful, but, but could it really be true? Could it be possible there'd be some power somewhere, anywhere that could somehow overpower him? And in order to quench such foolishness, he, he speaks of the one who is greater than all. God who is almighty, who is all power and authority and dominion. He is the loving father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who sent his son into the world. And it is his power which holds you fast. Shall the, the earth come out of its orbit from the sun? Shall the laws of gravity cease to work? Shall water start to flow upstream? Shall the very fabric of reality come undone itself? All these things will happen much sooner than the Christian shall be lost. Much sooner shall the very universe flicker out of existence. Then shall the faith of God's elect be finally extinguished. Though you may be a smoking flax believer, though You may feel as though you're just hanging on. The power that sustains you is the very same power that spoke the worlds into being. And God would just as soon deny himself and be a liar as cause even one Christian to be lost. 
And the last word, it might seem as an afterthought, but strangely, it's almost the most comforting thing to my soul in this text, and that is in verse 30. I and my Father are one. A perfect harmony exists between the salvation wrought by Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, and the loving Father and God who has sent him. Their activity in salvation is one. And because their activity is one, we have to say that the agent is in fact one. That indeed the one undivided Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is just but the one true and living God, one mind, one will, one power, one being. And this one undivided Godhead is the author of our salvation, Jehovah God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you see the great unity of this. Salvation which we possess is not of man. It is of God. It is founded in his very being, in his very nature, for God is love. And the love which he has manifested in Jesus Christ is founded on who he is, because from eternity has purpose to save sinful humans like you and I. And he even sent his son to die and to suffer, and he breathed life into them. And so shall he not see, see it through? Shall one of his sheep not find his way home? Shall you follow the good shepherd in vain and find yourself cast away into some uh, valley of the shadow of death? God forbid you shall be saved.